Good morning. Welcome to FAM on this chilly, chilly Sunday morning. We're glad that all of you are here. And isn't it exciting to get back to normal life after the holidays? Or does everybody just like their life being random and scattered like it is over the holidays? I, for one, I like the normal. I like getting back to normal. Uh, I like having structure. And so speaking of structure, um, uh, Fam Church, we have a structure here. We have a mission, and we're here to connect people to Christ. And so if you're here for the first time, that's what Fam Church is about. We're about connecting people to Christ. We want to see this community, this area. And like I said in my prayer, all of Polk County have connection with Christ through us being here. And we're, if you're here for the first time, we are excited you are with us today. If you're here this morning because uh, you woke up and you realized that you made a bunch of New Year's resolutions and you've broken them all and the only one you haven't had a chance to break yet was the one that said, I'm going back to church in the new year. Well, we're glad that you're here, and uh, we believe that uh, if you connect with Christ, it's going to help you with all of those others new year, other new, year, new Year's resolutions, because everything, is a, everything about you will change when you're connected with Christ. And so, uh, for those of you that were here last week, you may be wondering why we had this dangerous prayer thing going on. Because last week, I had mentioned we were starting a new series about resolutions and keeping resolutions, and uh, um, we were going to do that, and then on Monday, or Tuesday morning, because I wasn't here on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, I got an email from a guy named Craig Rochelle, and, and he sent me this email of this message series called Dangerous Prayers, and he said, hey, I want you to check this out. Uh, tell me what you think of it, and if you'd like to use it, go ahead and use it. And I, I went through the messages, and I was blown away by what I saw, and I felt with us going into three weeks of prayer and the start of the new year, I thought that us changing over and doing this series called Dangerous prayer uh, was far more fitting to where we were at as a church. And so that's why we're doing dangerous prayer. And so, uh, and so let's, uh, let's talk about this. Uh, dangerous prayers. These prayers, they are not safe prayers to pray. That's why they've got the name dangerous prayers. Now, we're not going to ask you to pray something like, God put me in a room where people are throwing knives at me, okay? That's not the kind of dangerous prayer we're talking here. We're talking prayers that are dangerous in a good way. Because if we look at who we are, if we look at our lives, I mean, most of the time, we do not pray dangerous prayers, do we? What kind of things do we pray? We pray, God, give me a parking spot up front at Publix because it's really cold out and I don't want to walk far, okay? We pray things like, God, bless us. What does that even mean? I mean, have you ever thought about that? What does that even mean, God, bless us? That's not dangerous. We pray for God to protect us from anything that we would classify as bad, right? That's the kind of prayers that we pray. You know, we pray for, for our kids to be kept safe and to get good grades in school and to get into the colleges that uh, we want them to go to so that they can have the careers that we want them to have. All of those prayer requests in the first one are, are very self-centered, but second, they're also very safe. And so what I want to do is arm you with prayers that are not safe to pray. In fact, just know going into this, if you pray these prayers, you're going to be asking God to do things in your life that are going to take you out of your comfort zone. And so today's prayer, we're going to start with a prayer found in the book of Psalms. Um, and uh, it's a prayer prayed by a guy named David. 
Okay, and if uh, you don't know where the book of Psalms is at, the book of Psalms is in the Old Testament. It's a really long book in the Old Testament. And so if you open it up roughly in the middle of the Old Testament, uh, Psalms should be there. And if you know where it's at, you're welcome to turn there. If you aren't able to locate it or are just not sure where it's at, we're going to have it on the screen behind me. We're going to be in Psalm 139, and uh, we're going to be reading verses 23 and 24 this morning. Uh, But first, I want to just give a little bit of background to this psalm because it really helps us to understand where David was at spiritually and where he was at mentally when he wrote this, when he prayed this prayer. Because at the time, David was the king of the nation of Israel. He was was running the country and he had all sorts of enemies that were internal. He had people within the government who were mad at him. He had people within his, his, uh, his army that were mad at him. He had people within the structure of Israel that were mad at him, that were ticked off with him. And they were questioning him. They were questioning his heart. They were questioning his mind. They were questioning where he was at, what he was thinking, what he was believing, how he was leading the country. They were accusing him of having wrong motives. And so what David did was he went in and he prayed this prayer that we are going to read this morning. And this is what he prayed in Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. He said, search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so what we're going to do with this prayer is we're going to break it down into four parts. And the first part that we're going to see here is where David prayed, search my heart. And now for some of you, you hear that, you hear David pray, search my heart, and you're probably thinking to yourself, well, that's kind of a dumb thing to pray. I mean, don't we already know what's in our hearts? I mean, a lot of us, I think, when we look at our hearts and we look at who we are, we, we look at it and we see, oh, you know, we've got this good heart. We're, we're a good person. We got good stuff inside of us. And I'm sure you've all heard the phrase, I mean, you've talked about people or, or had a conversation about someone and you've said, oh man, they have such a good heart, don't they? I mean, has everybody had those kind of conversations before? I think we all have. And that's kind of what we do is we look at people, we look at ourselves, and we're just like, oh, we've got such a good heart. But here's the deal. God has a little different opinion on our hearts. And I know you don't want to hear this, but in Jeremiah 17, 9, he says this, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? That just encouraged the crap out of you this morning, right? You're just like, oh, that was awesome. I can go out of here now knowing that I'm desperately sick and I can't understand my heart. And some of you may be even thinking to yourself, okay, I mean, that's a nice verse, but how do we know it's even true? I mean, just because it says it in the Bible, does that mean it's true? All right, well, but let's go at this from a different angle, okay? So, so let's ask us all a question here this morning. How many of us in our lives have ever told a lie? If you could just raise up your hands for me, okay? Um, about 50% of us, just uh, those of you that got your hands up, hold on, keep your hand up for a second. Now I want you to look around the room. There's people with, with their hands not up. And I want you to point at them and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. You just lied in front of us, okay? Because we have all told lies, Right? We have all said things that are not true in order to protect who we are, in order to protect a situation, a circumstance, something about our lives. We've told lies. And it's not just something that we do before we're a Christian, and then once you become a Christian, suddenly you stop lying. I mean, I have told lies since I have started following Jesus, okay? And uh, not only do we lie to others, though, 
we lie to ourselves as well. We lie to ourselves by telling ourselves that our hearts are good, that our motivations are always pure and right and going in the right direction. A heart is deceitful above all things, and because of that, we need a really dangerous prayer where we go before God and we say, God, search my heart. Show me what's in there. I mean, David knew his heart was wicked, and so that's why instead of going and saying, God, these guys are talking junk about me, go and strike them down, David said, you know what, God, search my heart because I know who I am. And when we do this, it's going to mess us up. When we pray this prayer, it will mess us up. Why? Because God's going to really show us what's in our heart. And I don't think any of us are really ready to see what's in our heart. And he's not going to do it so that he can say, ah, see how crappy you are, see how, see how much junk you got in your life, see, how, see this and see that. That's not why he's going to do it. He's going to point them out because he's going to say, you know what? You don't have to have this there. It's something that we can clean up. It's something that we can take care of. It's something that we can move out of, our, of your life. And it'll help us to become more like Jesus. And really, as a follower of Christ, that is our ultimate goal in life, to become as much like Jesus as we possibly can. And so praying this prayer, searching my heart, and hearing what God has to say and acting on that is going to help us to become more like Jesus. And so the first part of the prayer is, pray, God, search my heart. The second thing that David prayed was that God would reveal his anxious thoughts. There were things that were stressing David out. There were things that were making him anxious and afraid. And some of you, when you heard that, that he prayed for God to reveal his ancient, anxious thoughts, you became anxious and afraid. Why? Because for many of us, we don't like to talk about the things that makes a, make us anxious or afraid. Now, when I say the word afraid, I'm not talking about spiders and snakes or possibly that, uh, that man that hides in the shower in the bathroom behind the curtain when it's dark. Does anybody else go in there looking for the guy behind the curtain when they go into the bathroom? All right, Aaron does. Yeah, we have the same bathroom. I think she sensed the same sort of things that uh, I sensed in the bathroom. But, uh, but yeah, we're not talking about that. And one time, by the way, I tried to be the guy hiding behind the curtain. And uh, I, my brother smacked me in the face with a towel bar, and uh, I got a big black eye. So don't ever do that to somebody, because it's just a bad plan, all right? <laughs> but we're talking about what is it that internally makes you afraid? What is it that makes you anxious? Are you afraid of losing your job and not being able to pay your bills? Are you afraid that because you're not married that you're never going to be married? Are you afraid that you're stuck in a marriage that's going nowhere and you're just trapped in it for the rest of your life? Are you afraid of the unknown? Are you afraid of failing? Maybe you're afraid of succeeding. I've known many people who have sabotaged themselves because they're afraid of succeeding in life. It could be you're afraid of loss and losing someone that you love dearly. And you may be saying to yourself, why does it even matter? Why would God want to show me where I'm internally, internally afraid? I mean, all of those things are things that all people struggle with, right? It's not something that we should, we should do anything about. It's just part of life. And I would say that the reason that this is important is because of this. The things that we fear the most are generally areas that we trust God in the least. If I'm afraid that something's going to happen to my job and my finances, 
and I'm not going to be able to pay my bills, I'm saying, I don't trust God to provide for me and my family. If you're afraid about something happening to one of your kids, what you're saying is, you know what? God doesn't love my kids as much as I do. God doesn't want to protect them as much as I do. God doesn't want to do great things through them as much as I do. And so God, you know what? I got to take care of this because you're not good enough to do it. If I'm afraid of the future, I'm saying that I don't believe God's in control. I don't believe I can trust God with the future. See, what you fear the most is where you trust God the least. I mean, God showed me my biggest fear. My biggest fear in life, and it's been like this for a long time, has been the fear of failing. A lot of times I'm driven by the fear of failing at something. I'm driven by this fear that somehow I'm going to fail. And it's not just more than failing. I see, you see, when I dig down deeper into this, this piece of me that's afraid of failing, there's some other things, there's some other parts, there's some other pieces into it. It's because I feel that I'm not adequate enough. It's because I don't feel um, uh, good enough. It's that I don't think I'm righteous enough, that I don't think I'm wise enough, or I'm not in tune with God enough. See, all of those things have this foundation and this fear of failure, especially when it comes to things of the church, because I am always concerned and worried that I'm going to fail at leading the church. And when you're afraid of doing something, instead of living by faith, which is what God has called us to do, I end up living by fear. And when you live in fear, you generally will not listen to God and not do what he is telling you to do because of that fear. And that's a big deal because especially in my role as a pastor of a church, I have to live by faith because God's going to call our church to do things. God's going to call our church to respond to things. And I have to be able to step up in faith, trust God, and go for it, regardless of whether or not there's a fear that I could fail at what God has called me to do. I have to love pleasing God more than I fear failing. We all have to love pleasing God more than whatever it is we fear. And so the second question that we need to ask ourselves is what do we fear? And what makes this thought so dangerous is it shows us, as I said, where we trust God the least, but as we respond to that and as we make that prayer, uh, it allows God to dig down into the roots and to the reason for the problem. When we get to the root of the problem and we know what it is, God can speak to that and God can work on it. Then when God speaks to it and we take that step of faith to act on it, we will be changed. We will be different. See, but that's the key. When we pray for God to show us our anxious thoughts, we have to be willing to act on what God says. We can't just hear what he says, say that's very nice, and then continue on with life. We can't just say, God, well, yeah, I know that. I got this. You don't have to worry about it. I'll take care of it. We have to ask God, search my heart, reveal my fears, because I want to be who you have called me to be. And so what do you fear? And then the third question, this gets even more difficult, is where David prays for God to uncover his sins. God's, David says, God, see if there is any offensive way 
in me. Show me anything about my life that is not in line with your truth. And that's a prayer that when we, really, when we pray it and we really mean it, it can really hurt our ego. It can really mess with who we are when we pray that and when we mean that prayer. Because a lot of times, you know what? We can't see our own sins, can we? I mean, we can look at other people in this world. We can see their lives. We can see how they're living and we can find their sin, right? We can see how people are screwing up. Uh, I mean, we can go through other people's lives with a fine-tooth comb and we can list a hundred things that they need to change, right? Okay? The, but with ourselves, we kind of put on these rose-colored glasses and we kind of look at ourselves and we say, man, I don't really got anything going on in here. I don't really got anything going on out here. I'm a great person. And so we need to ask God and ask him and say, God, do something. God, show me, show me where I sin. I mean, I, I see myself looking at other people and seeing their sins and not seeing mine all the time. I mean, I hate it when people cut in line. Um, and uh, being a youth pastor for 16 years and going to youth events, I saw my fair share of these things. And what would happen is we'd be at an event, like we'd be at a restaurant or we'd be someplace else. And, you know, you got these long lines because all these events you got thousands of teenagers at and they're, they're all there. They're all, they're all going to lunch at the same time. They're all doing this at the same time. They're all doing that at the same time. And, you know, you'd be waiting in this line and you have like four people ahead of you. And then all of a sudden, somebody would step up to the register and then 25 of their closest friends would come and get in line with them. Oh, I used to hate that. And I wasn't quiet when this would happen in front of me, okay? When, some, when a bunch of kids would come up and they would cut the line and they would get up there and, and, and I'd start saying something. I'd be like, no, you're not saving a spot for all 25 of these people. They need to get to the back of the line. Okay, it drove me insane. And my kids knew that I would say something about it. The youth knew that I would say something about it if somebody cut the line. So, um, one day, um, I mean, I've had not just youth do it to me, uh, throw, a, throw a district youth director under the bus. One year, he did it to me. I couldn't believe it. I was at Chick-fil-A, okay? And he, he did it to me. I'm like, come on, dude, you're the district youth director. You shouldn't be adding 20 people to your group. Uh, but anyways, uh, so, so one year, we were at this thing. I can't even remember what it was. We were, I think we were in a restaurant, and um, me and a couple of people were straggling behind the rest of the group. And so the group was up at the front, and I walk in, and this line was out the door. And I just said, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to cut the line. And so I walked up there, and I got up there with the group. And, uh, you know, they all knew that I said stuff about it. And so I got up there. I got up there with the group. We joined in the conversation. About 30 seconds into the conversation, guess what? One of the youth is like, you just cut the line. Aren't you always complaining and yelling and talking about the kids that cut the line? But that's how we are, right? We can see it, but... We don't see it in ourselves. With ourselves, it's, it's okay for us to be able to do that. And so we need to look at ourselves. We need to look at others and we need to ask God to search our heart and to test us and to know our anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in us so that we can get those things out of our life to get the sin that's dwelling in our heart, out of our life. And here's, I'll give you three questions that are helpful to ask yourself as you're praying, God, uncover my sins. The first question is this, what are others trying to tell me? 
In other words, if you've had people tell you, and if you, are, if you are married and you've had your spouse tell you something over and over again, either kindly or not so kindly, about something in your life, it's maybe something that you should look at when you ask the question, God, uncover my sins. What are other people trying to tell me? Because just like we talked about, we have a hard time seeing where we fall short. But other people don't have such a hard time. And so a listening to what other people are saying can help us to see those areas of our life where we are falling short. And so what do others see in me is the first question that we can ask to reveal our sin. The second question is, what have we rationalized for some time? What are some things that we've said? Well, it might not be right, but that's who I am. That's how I deal with things. That's how our family rolls. Um, so let me help you picture this because I have heard this so many times. But, you know, you get people with temper problems, right? And um, they, they, they'll get mad, they get, they get angry at stuff, and they get angry really quick, and um, somebody points it out to them or something like that. Hey, you have a problem with anger, and, or you get really angry really quick, and, they stop, and they'll say, well, you know, it's because, uh, because I'm, I'm German, or it's because I'm Irish. It's just in my blood. There's, there's nothing I can do about it, okay? That's rationalization right there, because there's nothing about Irish that makes you angry. There's nothing about German that makes you angry. No matter how angry their language sounds, no matter how angry their country always has seemed to have been in the past. There's nothing about being German that makes you a hot-tempered person. That's a rationalization. What areas of your life are you doing that in? Then the third question is, where am I most defensive? What are the conversations that when they start, you don't want to go there? You don't want to talk about it. Look at that area of your life that you get defensive over, because that's most likely a spot where God wants to work. And see, when we ask these three questions, it gives God permission to reveal the sinfulness, to reveal what's going on inside here. And every day I try and ask God that question. I ask him to, to just say, God, yesterday, what did I do that was sinful? And can I tell you that almost every day I get something from God as to what I'd done the previous day that God doesn't want me to do. And if I were to share some of the things with you, you'd say, man, come on. That's so dumb. It's so small. It's so little. Why would you even bother with that? Can I tell you that God doesn't look at sins and say, that's so little and that's so big. And as long as you're taking care of the big things, little things are okay. No, God says sin is sin. And when he points something out in your life that he wants removed, you take it out. You don't, you don't just dismiss it. You say, you know what? God wants that out of me, and so I'm going to take it out of me. Submit yourself to what God is trying to show you, and then have the courage to bring what he shows you to the light. And when we, when we see ourselves in that light, when we see our sinfulness, it should point us to our need for Jesus. It should point us to our need for God's grace. What's God's grace? It's God's gift of forgiveness. It's God's forgiving us, even though we don't deserve it. And I feel like there's some people in here today that they hear this and they're saying, you know what, I don't need Jesus for that. I mean, it's my problem. I can beat it on my own. Well, the question is, how's that working for you? Okay. And uh, if you're saying... Uh, if you're saying, well, you know, I'm just not trying hard enough, okay, well, let's try hard. Let's put some money on it, and for six months, let's see how well you can do. Guarantee nobody will be able to do it because we can't. We can't defeat sin in our lives. That's why Jesus came, to defeat the sin in our lives. We need Jesus' power to get the sin out of our lives. We need Jesus to do that for us. So stop trying to go 
um, or so stop trying and go to him and see your need for Jesus. Then the fourth question we ask is this. David, at the end, he prayed, lead me. God, when you show me what's not good about me, when you show me what needs to be changed, I need you to lead me so that I can kick things permanently from my life. Show me what needs to happen so that I can get to the root of it and kill it so it's no longer a force in my life. We need to pray that same dangerous question, but all this, we have to be willing to do what God asks us to do. Because as I said, if we're willing to pray the prayer, but we're not willing to do anything about it, praying the prayer is useless waste of time. We can't just say, God, I'll do it my way. We need to say, God, let's do it your way because God's not looking for people who want to do it his way. He's looking for people who want to walk his way to really get to the root and the foundation of the problem. And so in closing this morning, the big question is this. Joe, if you want to come back up, who's ready to ask that these dangerous questions out of this one prayer in their life on a daily, regular basis? Who's ready to pray for God to search their hearts? Who's ready to pray for God to judge their anxious ways? Who's ready for God to come and reveal their sin? And who's ready for God to lead me? But I guarantee you, as I said, this is not going to be something that's going to be comfortable, it's going to be fun, or you're going to enjoy praying. Because God is going to reveal, God is going to show, God is going to expose your heart. And when your heart is exposed and you see the things that are in there, it may be disturbing to you. Because it sometimes is to me when you see what's inside of yourself. But God wants to do that because he wants us to become more like him. Because he wants us to be more like Jesus and so are you ready this morning to give in to God and say, God, you know what? I'm ready for this dangerous prayer to be prayed in my life. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. God, do this in me.